This is the launch of my podcast. It is intended to disseminate the information about caring science, the work environment, and predictive analytics, specifically about the outcomes in healthcare for both the employee and the patient. I call this podcast the science of caring because caring really is a science. Caring when you are behaving in a way that's intentional, as asserted by Dr. Watson as one of the many theorists in caring, asserts that if it is enacted in such a way, the person that who has received the caring, whether it's self or others, that there will be an internal cascade of healing with lower cortisol, higher oxytocin, higher DHEA, higher uh, catecholamines. So there will be a movement of healing internally. In addition, it will unlock access to your frontal lobes, which is where you are able to think more critically. So when patients are feeling cared for, it relaxes them so that they aren't utilizing their base brain or the fight or flight aspect of their brain, but they're accessing the critical thinking part of their brain. They will make better decisions. So it really is a science. Um, oftentimes I would, it is not uncommon for someone to say to me is how can you measure caring? That's not measure measurable. And so I'll simply say to them, well, then you can't measure stress, quality of life, coping. And then they've said, no, we know a lot about that. And I will respond, well, we just need to deepen our science in caring. So that's why I called it the Science of Caring podcast, because this really is science. We just need to develop good measures and good models that examine how caring for self or others impacts us internally and in our outcomes that we observe within healthcare itself. I appreciate you joining me today to hear about some of the research that I have done globally and uh, about the trajectory of research that we have planned as well. I began this work in analytics about 21 years ago. It was toward the tail end of my years as a staff nurse. I was working as a critical care staff nurse. I did that for 11, eight years and I was a med surge nurse for three years prior to that. So I worked as a bedside nurse for 11 years total. And while working at the bedside, I was feeling frustrated that we didn't use data to make decisions about our organizational change and about my practice as a nurse. When I would ask why we were changing things, the, the response seemed to always be, well, we've done this uh, long enough and it's essentially time to do something different. Well, that didn't seem like a very um, good response to me. So when they decided to change the model of nursing, which I was practicing, which is primary nursing, and in primary nursing, the four dimensions that are important are um, care planning with the patient, the relationship with the patient, collaborating with the team, and continuity of care. So those four aspects of that model of nursing care was very enjoyable for me because I was able to take care of the same patient day after day. I got to know them really well. The relationship was enjoyable. I got to understand their responses uh, to my care really well, so I could anticipate when I first saw them on the second day or third day, I knew sort of 
how to care for this patient in several ways. So it was um, it was an effective way to um, provide nursing care. They were going to change to more of a team approach, uh, which would have interrupted that relationship and that continuity. So I asked if I could, when I asked about what kind of data was available in making this decision, there it was sort of the same response. Well, we're just going to try something different. So I requested if they could delay that response until we sort of looked at some of the literature, some of the data. And it was a great team that um, was looking at making this change. So they were very open to my request. And I went to the literature and I didn't really find any research or information on why primary nursing was better than other formats. I did find articles that nurses would write about it and say, I like primary nursing because, and, but that was about it. So because of that, I got involved in that um, team that was going to change the um, format of care. And they actually decided to keep uh, primary nursing eventually through all of our conversations. But what that led me to was uh, I went to take a class in statistics to see if I um, could help with mathematics. I hated mathematics, but I knew that data was the only way that we were going to make an argument that primary nursing was not only better, but that it made a difference over time. So um, I had already achieved my bachelor's degree in nursing, and so I enrolled in a statistics course and then eventually got my master's in statistics through the School of Nursing at the University of Minnesota. And I, I discovered that I really liked math. And I discovered I liked math because it tells a story. And when you can tell a story with data, um, people resonate. So that's how I got started in um, in data analytics to try to make the relationship with the patient visible. And then I went on into my get my PhD. Uh, I did more research. I studied primary nursing in Jamaica in a different context, but. I wanted to look at how does clarity of role and system and clarity of self predict um, my ability to do my um, job socially and technically, which was really job satisfaction and primary nursing became part of that job satisfaction scale. So by the time I had completed my PhD in studying clarity and job satisfaction, in Jamaica, I had done a lot of psychometric testing in instruments. So by this time, it was clear that instrument development was going to be one of my specialties. And it was job satisfaction and uh, examination of components of the nurse's work environment that was going to be a big interest of mine. <clears throat> now, after I had done that for probably about, you know, maybe another five years, and I had started my company by this time, I was contacted by a, um, a an executive out east who was using a caring theory that was written by doc, that was um, 
formulated by Dr. Gene Watson. Mm -hmm. And I had heard of Gene Watson many, many times, and I had watched films of her theory, et cetera, when I was getting my bachelor's degree in nursing. So I was very familiar with who Gene Watson was, but I didn't know her. So when we contacted Dr. Watson and made a request that we develop an instrument on her newest theory, the Keratos processes, because there really wasn't an instrument to measure her most recent 10-item um, theory of caring, uh, Dr. Watson was very glad to agree that we should proceed with developing an instrument to measure the caring processes as perceived by both staff and the patient. And according to Dr. Watson, if the 10 dimensions or 10, 10 keratos processes, each, each keratos process is an act. So for example, um, if I sense that you would feel cared for if I made a more pleasing environment for you, if I if I helped you practice one of your spiritual practices that might make you feel cared for, but essentially is if I enact these 10 behaviors for self or others, the recipient of that caring act would feel cared for. So that's in, in um, that's in summary what her theory asserts. When you feel cared for, you heal and um, can think clearly, et cetera. So caring is a very important attribute um, or character um, characteristic of a person that um, we want to refine and enact within nurses. Because according to her, caring and many theorists in caring, or many theorists in nursing, it's important that nurses learn how to care intentionally so that when I'm caring for this person and I'm understanding they need to be taught in a particular way that then I use that teaching method to teach them about their care. That's another one of the Keratos processes. So what I discovered was there was a relationship between the patient feeling cared for and the nurse who was doing the nursing role socially or technically. So I found that the um, uh, it was important that we have a satisfying work environment for the nurse in order for them to care effectively for that patient. So development, development of these instruments throughout my master's and my PhD, and then the few years after I graduated with my PhD, really has put me on a trajectory internationally to study the work environment and how that relates to outcomes um, for both the employee and the patient. Now in recent, more recent years, <clears throat> we've actually tested these instruments in multiple countries at the same time. So recently, we did a study in 2019 where we looked at how caring for self, caring of the manager, clarity of the role and system, and job satisfaction, how those 
fit together as constructs as reported by just over 2,000 nurses from eight countries. And we found that these variables, these constructs are important globally. And we're up to 13 countries now. And in 2020, we added a few more countries. So we're up to 13 now. And then we plan to continue to add to that. But doing this collaboratively across the globe has using instruments that are rigorously tested scientifically has been very important for us to, first of all, identify that these constructs or variables of caring for self, of caring of manager clarity and job satisfaction are important globally, but we had confidence in that fact because we knew our instruments were tested very aggressively. We did reliability testing, we did validity testing, we did structural equation modeling, which basically looks at how they all fit together, all the variables fit together. And we did something called invariance testing. And what invariance testing is, it's a technical term, but it basically tests if the instruments are truly the same across each of the countries. So we looked at invariance testing by comparing different countries. So this has helped us understand when the high score in China why is that higher than the rest of the world in a particular um, aspect of the work environment? <clears throat> and then the chief nurse officer from China was able to explain why that was so high within that organization. Or in Turkey, why was a particular variable scored in a particular way? So it, is, it has helped us have a global conversation, and this is in a community we call the Caring Science International Collaborative. Um, it, the web address is caring.science that you can go and see our website. Um, but it has been really helpful to have instruments that are tested globally and to have researchers from academia who also work with people in operations, because we do have both clinical people and academic academic academicians who are in our group, as well as company owners too, because they bring content expertise. So this global conversation has been not only fun, but it has been very informative to understand the similarities and differences across the globe. Now, what we have ended up calling this um, model, it is 37 items. It was originally uh, 96 items, and through the extensive testing, we were able to reduce the number to uh, 37 items. So it's a, it's a short survey to assess important dimensions of the work environment. We've actually called this the profile of caring. And our current trajectory of research is to examine if caring and clarity and job satisfaction all relate to outcomes for not only the employee but for the patient. 
So as we improve the profile of caring for staff, as we work on improving their clarity of their role, what they're supposed to do independently, in, interdependently and dependently, and when we work to improve the social and technical aspects of their work, and we try to help them care for self, and we help managers understand how to intentionally care for their staff, what is the impact on the patient? And we hypothesize that uh, globally, that healthy staff actually create um, better outcomes for the patients. Now that would be in the United States, what we call the quadruple aim. Uh, according to the quadruple aim, if you have a good employee experience that creates a good patient experience and when you have a good employee and patient experience that then you end up having better patient outcomes and reduced cost. So that's what we're uh, pursuing uh, now in our testing. And then the last piece that we are looking at besides the model testing and looking at things like the quadruple aim is to actually move from a retrospective stance on outcomes management because currently we uh, get together and talk about falls and pressure ulcers of patients and um, use frequency graphs we have a lot of falls this month we it, and it's um, but it's less than last month or it's more than last month and so we look at those frequency graphs of our outcomes that go up and that go down but it doesn't really inform sometimes we'll have a case study and we'll look at a particular case of why they fell and we try not to do that again or we'll look at a root cause analysis. Um, so we do have information, but it is um, moment by moment, and it, it doesn't build upon the interventions we've used over time to improve that outcome. So what we are moving toward is we're utilizing more complex analytics and creating models that are specified for that outcome that will include not only the administrative data and the patient data, but the staff data as well. So as we monitor the patient's comorbidities, their um, medications, and how does that relate to, for example, their falls? As we look at the systems that are in place within the hospital, how does that relate to false? But also, how does the caring, uh, the profile of caring of the staff relate to false? So um, this is what we would call a specified or complete model. And so we think that it is going to be more informative operationally for better actions and tell a more complete story so that it resonates more with those who are, um, are within practice. Now, all of these things that I've just reviewed as far as the instrumentation development, the global efforts, and the some of these predictive analytic studies that we've um, been doing to move from a retrospective to a prospective uh, method of data, anal um, data management um, are all written in our new book. There's 45 contributors from nine countries and we together we have written 18 chapters on how to uh, use good measurement and good models of measurement to more fully tell the story of your outcome. And if the story 
includes the staff, the patient, and the system, it will resonate for actions and operations. So our book is called Using Predictive Analytics to Improve Healthcare Outcomes. It's by Wiley. Uh, the release date is May 4th of 2021, and it will be available in both hard copy and electronic and, and, and different forms of electronic like Kindle and other uh, electronic formats. So we're really excited to be able to provide um, some of our research. Um, I also do provide, um, there, there, it's actually in four sections. The first section of the book um, looks at the 16 steps that I use to um, execute, uh, to help you move from a retrospective to prospective data management. Um, how do you do storytelling? So I, it sounds, uh, 16 steps might sound like a lot, but it's um, when using a team approach, it's very reasonable. And we walk you through all of that. And each of the chapters, many of the chapters provide examples of how we do that. The second chapter is all about theory. Um, theory helps to not only guide the development of your measurement model, but it also helps you interpret the data and to um, respecify your model so you can continue to study your outcome of interest, as I call it. The third chapter is all about operations. Um, it's research does no good uh, and academics does no good unless we are able to have the people in operations understand the data and help the data resonate so they know what to do within operations, how to make the system better. And then the fourth chapter is on leadership. It takes a good leader to move to a method of analytics that may have not been tried before, but that holds promise for informing on the patient, the staff, and the system to make better outcomes. So, um, so it takes good leadership. So that's the first section is about leadership. The second section is all about examples of how we improved outcomes. We've uh, saved, for example, $1.7 million when we reduced CLABC by 24 infections, when we decreased falls from four per 1,000 patients days to 0.6 falls per 1,000 patient days. That saved, I think that was 1.6 million. When we reduced the length of stay from 19 to 11 days um, in a palliative care um, department and that saved it was the we estimated the range was anywhere from 4.2 to 5.7 million for that particular project and then the uh, project where we um, reduced readmissions for heart failure in less than 30 days um, and we reduced it from 24 percent readmissions uh, for the heart failure population to 22 percent and 22 percent is the national benchmark and so by moving from 24% to 22% readmissions, we saved uh, that hospital $2 million in penalties by the um, government uh, because it's required that they meet the benchmark. So those the, that second section gives examples. The third section is about theory. How do we use theory to build models? And then the last one is our international. We have four chapters um, on uh, our international research and collaborative. And I wrote this book because I wanted to show the 
importance of including the profile of caring of staff. Because currently in our measurement of the organizations, we measure the patient and the um, system data, but we don't measure the advancement, evolution, beliefs and attitudes of staff, which I think is probably one of the, if not the most important predictor of outcomes. All of us have been in hospitals or in care centers at one time or another. It may have been the prettiest hospital with the best technology, but if you have staff that are caring for you or tending to you who have bad attitudes or are incompetent relationally or incompetent technically, it, it puts you in a, um, it just doesn't give a good experience for healthcare. So I would, uh, it was my intent to show the importance of including staff in models of measurement. Now having models of measurement that are accurate because they're complete or specified will help anyone who is reading this book to understand how to manage their data. And every time we have used this methodology of including the patient, the system, and the staff data, we have always improved the outcome and made a substantial improvement in cost. So again, it does it does meet the triple aim that we do improve the patient experience, the staff experience, and we improve cost and outcomes. Now, the other aspect that I that the other aspect that this book provides, it provides evidence of how to utilize data for curriculum development. It does require teams, so it gives information for departments or schools or colleges that teach leadership, that teach data management, that teach healthcare of how to utilize data so that the data is better, the healthcare is better, and the leadership and teams are better. So it has application for not just nursing, even though that's the profession that I come from, it has application to multiple different disciplines and professions as it relates to healthcare. It probably has application in other um, professions as well, but that's not the focus of this discussion here or of my podcast, but this is math and it is a model that is designed for human human services. So it probably could be utilized in social work. It probably could be used in other services that are um, for public health or public services, et cetera. So the this book is intended for multiple purposes, including improvement in the clinical setting, data management, and curriculum development. In upcoming podcasts, we will be interviewing people from the research studies that are in the book that have not been included in the book. We will include discussions more specific to what trajectories or aspects of research are we going to be doing as it relates to caring science, to healthcare, to predictive analytics. So there will be a wide variety of podcasts that we will be offering to you listeners as it relates to 
specific studies in various clinical outcomes <clears throat> and different areas of healthcare and analytics as well. We would invite you to visit caring.science, which is the main website for this caring science, international caring science community. And at the bottom of the webpage, there is a form for you to submit if you have any questions, some reflections, if you want to contact us to talk about any of these um, aspects that have been mentioned today. Caring.science is an initiative that is sponsored by Healthcare Environment. And when I say caring.science, that's the website for the Caring Science International Collaborative that we've been talking about. But it is sponsored by Healthcare Environment. Healthcare Environment is a company that focuses on automation of mathematical models for moving from retrospective management of data to prospective, including forecasting, forecasting of risk so your outcomes can be managed proactively, or which means before they happen. 